I, this morning, I'd, I'd like to just recap uh, Vision Sunday and then springboard off that into what I want to share with you today, which is almost like a part two to Vision Sunday. But, um, you know, at risk of, of repeating myself, uh, I want to just repeat what I opened my message on Vision Sunday with. And, and that was this, that 50 years ago, um, statistics told us that one in 10 couples live together. So nine out of 10 couples married and one in 10 simply live together without the covenant of marriage. 50 years later, that statistic has radically changed where it's now closer to seven couples live together, three couples enter into the covenant of marriage. And what I shared with you last time was biblical values like discipline, dedication, commitment and loyalty have, have rapidly declined over the last 50 years. Generally speaking, many of us have become quite bad at, at making solid commitments and following through on those commitments. And I said, sadly, uh, the saying, a, a man's word is his bond, is, is no longer true. Uh, people make promises and they don't fulfill them. People say they will do something and then they don't. They'll say they'll be there and they don't turn up. It's, it's quite a common, unprincipled thing that happens today in our world. And I said that at risk of overgeneralizing, the reason why more people today are choosing to live together rather than enter into the covenant of marriage is because they want the benefits of marriage but not the commitment. They want what marriage brings to their life, but they, they don't want to be locked in, so to speak. They don't want to be hemmed in. They don't want that sense of, I'm in so deep I can't get out. And it's like a safety net. They say we'll live together because if it doesn't work out or if I don't get what I want from this relationship or if I find I'm not satisfied... We don't have to go through the process of a divorce, which can be difficult, time-consuming, a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, we can just part ways. And I, and I think, really, that's probably one of the key reasons people don't want the covenant of marriage today. But I led from that into this saying that, that in another area of life, there are more people now than ever before who simply attend church but are not committed members of the body of Christ. They're not contributing members. They're not in a covenant relationship with the house of God. And I believe the reason for that is similar to the reason why people now choose to live together rather than marry. And that is we want the benefits of the church, but not the commitment. We want what the church will offer by way of support when times get tough. We want the fellowship if I feel lonely if we haven't got anything on, well, I'll go and connect. And we want the visitation, the counselling, the preaching about how to live a successful life, how to be more fruitful so that my life will prosper, my family will go well. Uh, we want to learn the principles that will help me live a good life till the day it's time for me to leave the planet. But I just don't want to be locked into anything. I, I believe that is a classic symptom of what Paul said to Timothy, that in the last days the love of many will grow cold. 
the love of many towards the house of God, towards building what Jesus is building, will grow cold. And I want to springboard off that message today into the fact that we are all called to gather, we are all called to grow. But Jesus doesn't want us to get spiritually fat so that we can just enjoy life. He said very clearly, if we are truly his disciples and we are truly following him, he said, freely you have received, now freely give. What it is I've deposited in your life? What is it that you can do to contribute? What is it that you can bring to the table? What, what contribution can I as a living stone bring to the house of God that my part as a part of the body will help supply every joint and ligament and be that supporting network of, of systems and, and processes that make a body healthy what is it that I can bring to the table? We're all called to gather, we're all called to grow, but we're also all called to go. And, and on Vision Sunday, I broke that up into two sections. Going means building and it means leading. You know, what is it I can contribute to build what Jesus is building? And I want to talk to you today about the characteristics of a kingdom-minded volunteer spirit. I honestly believe that we're in a day and age where Jesus is now calling his people to stop sleeping around with the church just for the benefits of a one night stand or what it will give me, the pleasure of the moment. You know, where we, you know, this church has got these programs on this week, so I'll sleep with her for a couple of nights. And that church has got some kind of ministry operation that I really like that our church doesn't have, so I'll sleep with her a couple of nights. And, and I, I, I close my message with, he wants us to walk down the aisle and say I do to a local church. Lock in and be planted in the house of God and bring to the table our gifting and our talent. And I want to just share with you this morning characteristics of a kingdom-minded volunteer spirit. And I want to read out at 2 Kings chapter 4, and it's the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. And in chapter 4, verse 8, we read, One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She eventually said to her husband, I am sure that this man who stops in from time to time is a holy, a separated man of God, a man anointed and appointed, sent from heaven, in other words. I am certain that this man is a man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp. I, I preached a message out of that a long time ago. Uh, it was predominantly to the leaders in our, in our church that every, every man or woman of God need a room with a lamp, a table, a, a bed and a chair. But I haven't got time for that this morning. But there's great significance in that. She just knew he needed a place where he could strategize. That's the table and the chair. He needed a place where he could hear from God. That's the lamp. The word of God is a lamp to our feet. And we all need a place of rest and recovery. But we go on and we read in, uh, in uh, the rest of that verse, then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day Elisha returned to Shunem and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern that you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. 
Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is old. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. And all the older women in the house said, Amen. (laughs) Man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Just as the word of the Lord had said. In Isaiah chapter 6, which is the great chapter of Isaiah's vision of the glory, the splendor, the majesty of God. Isaiah the prophet responds to a call from the Lord to serve the purposes of the Lord. Then I heard the Lord asking. That's fascinating to me. Isaiah, somehow the curtain is pulled back and he sees into heaven And he sees into the strategy room of the king of heaven, the triune God. And they're discussing amongst themselves, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each is God, yet God is one. And and it's a reference to the Trinity in conference. And they're looking upon this broken planet. They're looking upon the plan and the purpose of salvation that was still in motion from heaven and out being outworked through the prophets and the men and women of God who heard from God and spoke into the life of God's people. And he, he gets a glimpse into the, the strategy room of heaven and he hears Father, Son and Holy Spirit talking. And, and, and I believe the Father said, who should I send as a messenger? Who will go for us? There's the triune reference. And Isaiah said, uh, pardon me, <laughs> excuse me, I'll go. I, I, I'm happy. I, if you need someone, I'll, I'll go. And it's like the Trinity just turned and looked and said, we've got somebody. I find it a fascinating story. The purposes of the Lord were extremely important to this prophet of God. Kingdom purpose, the values of heaven, the purpose of heaven to be outworked on the planet were extremely important to this man of God. And he puts his hand up because it was such an important thing to him and he volunteers to be a servant to those purposes. The response, I believe, of Isaiah in that moment of vision in Isaiah 6, I I honestly believe represents what Jesus is looking for today in his church. I, I believe Jesus heart is is hurting and broken over the lukewarmness that fills the houses of God across our cities today. People that just turn up whenever they've got a moment spare. People that just go, I think I'll go to church today. Or I'm feeling a bit flat or a bit dry. I need to get back to church because I need an injection. I need something to lift me up. I need something to just bring me back into connection with God. I think it's a sad symptom in the house of God today that I think breaks the heart of God. And, and I feel like he's looking today. His eyes are roaming across the house of God for people who will take their eyes off themselves and embrace what he said, that if we will lose our life for his sake and for the sake of the kingdom, we will actually find life. But if we look for our life, and we pursue our life and our own agendas and our own wants and our own desires, we'll actually find we'll lose our life. 
And disappointment will follow us all the days of our life instead of goodness and mercy that Psalm 23 tells us about. I believe people with not only that kind of mindset, but people with that kind of follow through. Here am I, send me. Here am I, embrace me. Here am I, I'll do what you need me to do. What is it you need me to say? Where is it you need me to go? I believe people with that kind of mindset and that kind of follow through are the people who will actually live lives of overcoming breakthrough. And, you know, I was reading this morning, just before the service, Second Chronicles chapter 16. It's a fascinating story. The king, king Asa, I think that's how you pronounce it, was the king of Judah. And, and his history was that he had great military successes and great military breakthroughs. And, and suddenly there's something went pear-shaped and the king of Israel, who, who really wasn't in God's good books at the time, decides to invade Judah because there was a divided kingdom in, amongst the people of God, the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel. And the king of Israel decides to invade. And, and King Asa, who, who had taken out the Ethiopian armies and the Libyan armies, they weren't called that in those days, but that's the countries that represent today's countries of Ethiopia and Libya. They were, they were a force to be reckoned with, Ethiopia and Libya, and, and they were far stronger and far more resourced than the king of Judah. And yet the king of Judah, Asa, trusted God. And, and as a result of trusting God, God did what he couldn't do. God provided what he didn't have. God brought miracle after miracle just to show that when we look to God and we, we trust God and our heart is for kingdom purpose, not our own desires or our own purposes, God will always come through. And we read that, that suddenly the king of Israel rises up to invade the king of Judah and rather than think to himself, we've got through this stuff in the past because God's been with us and turn back to God and say, God, what do we do in this situation? He went to the king of Syria. Someone who wasn't under the blessing of God or the covenant of God. He goes to the king of Syria who actually had a peace treaty with the king of Israel. The king of Judah goes to the king of Syria and says to the king of Syria, break your peace treaty with Israel. He must have offered something pretty attractive because the king of Syria said, yeah, I'll do it. So he breaks the treaty and the king of Syria then comes to the aid of the king of Judah, but it doesn't work out. And then the prophet of the Lord, Hanani, comes to the king of Judah and says, because you have done this. He says very specifically, because you have not relied upon the Lord, you should have remembered what happened with Ethiopia and what happened with Syria and how faithful God was and the miracles that God performed. But because you have not trusted the Lord, because you have not gone to the Lord, because you have not turned to Him in your moment of need, but you've looked on the horizontal, you've looked for something in the natural, to, you, know, you will find you will be at war now for a long time. There'll be a consequence with it. And the interesting thing is, the king of Judah was so angry at the prophet of the Lord, became so offended at the prophet of the Lord that he puts him in prison and hangs him in stocks and chains. And when I read that, I thought, you know, it's still happening in the church today. People are still offended by the word of the Lord. We want God to tell us what we want God to tell us. 
We want heaven to open up and bless us the way we want to be blessed and guide us the way we want to be guided. And, you know, we, we, we want to plan our ways and have God just breathe on our plans rather than trusting the Lord to order our steps and lead us into the purposes of heaven. If, if Jesus doesn't come through in a week, then I'll try something else. Or if I don't get a breakthrough soon, then I can see the church isn't really happening for me or it's not working for me. You know, and then that, the, the prophet closes with these words. It says, King Asa, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are truly loyal and committed to him. I thought, what a powerful statement that is. I want the strong support of the Lord. So no matter how hard the moment gets or how difficult the trail might become, I want my first port of call to be to Him. I want to look to Him. God, I don't think I'm going to make it through this, but hey, I'm hanging on to You. I'm trusting You and You will guide me. You'll direct me. And if I don't get a breakthrough in the next 12 months, it's okay because I know You're with me. I'll go through the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod, your staff, they'll comfort me. And it might be a long valley this time. It might be a, a seven or eight year valley this time. God, it doesn't matter. I'll just keep going because You're with me. And when I'm, when I'm with you and you're with me, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That chapter closes with King Asa, still offended at the word of the Lord, says that he developed a disease in his feet. Doesn't tell us what that looked like. Doesn't tell us how crippled that made him. But the close of that chapter says, rather than seek the Lord, he just went to the physicians of the day. I don't have a problem with physicians. I believe in doctors. But it goes out of its way to say, rather than seek the Lord with his feet problem, he just went to the physician. He was offended at God because God didn't do what he wanted him to do and how he wanted to do it. Uh, you know, I believe the kingdom of God is built by people with a volunteer spirit loyal to the kingdom of God. And people with a volunteer spirit for the kingdom of God, I, I'm convinced, are in turn built by God. I, I, I want to give you today five characteristics. I, I believe there's more. But out of this story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman, I want to give you five characteristics of the kind of volunteer kingdom spirit that Jesus is looking for today. Number one, a volunteer spirit always initiates provision. A kingdom-minded volunteer spirit always initiates provision. Provision. Now, before I start this, Elisha does not represent the senior pastor of the church. Understand that. That's not what I'm saying. Elisha represents the purposes of God, the purposes of the kingdom. Notice in verse 8, she invited him to eat some food. She invited him. She also suggests to her husband, let us make a room for him so that when he comes through town, he'll have a place to stay. This guy needs somewhere where he can pull up a chair, he can lay on a bed, he can recover physically, mentally, emotionally from the pressures of what it is he's doing. We need to provide for him so that he's fresh and full and resourced to be able to keep fulfilling the purposes of God in his life. Elisha doesn't put out an appeal for the ministry. 
He doesn't go out of his way and beg or borrow. He didn't even knock on her door. She invites him for a meal. She initiates the provision. She initiated every action and every contribution from her heart. She's the epitome, I believe, of a true kingdom-minded volunteer spirit that Jesus is looking for in the church today. People who will have eyes to see and ears to hear what is needed at the moment and say, there's a need, I've got the ability, I've got the talent, I've got the resource, whatever it might be, I can meet that need. That's called going, it's called building, it's called leading. It's initiating, it's taking the initiative, it's not waiting to be asked. The true volunteer in the kingdom of God does not wait to be asked, but but recognises a need. They wave their hand and say, I can do that. Let's build him a room. Let's, what, what is it that you say, this, this church that I'm planted in has a need. There's a miracle offering coming up. What is it I can contribute? Because we need to lock arms together. And it's not about how much you can give. It's about putting yourself out there and giving generously out of what you have. The woman with the two mites was poor and broken, but she gave more than all the rich people gave. Physically, it wasn't true. But Jesus recognised she gave far more than anybody else. She initiates provision. This isn't a message about the miracle offering either, by the way. That's not even in my notes. So don't don't think I'm trying to pull something off here. I see that there is a real need there. Would you like me to meet that need? That's what a true kingdom volunteer spirit says. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. God said, I I, I think God knew that Isaiah was the one. I think he was already earmarked. He was already uh, uh, mantled with the the, uh, anointing. He was already positioned even from the moment of his birth before he was formed in his mother's womb. God already knew him and already planned and destined uh, for him to do this. But he didn't want to go to him and say, I want you to do this. He wanted Isaiah to put his hand up and say, here am I, send me. That's what a kingdom volunteer spirit looks like. It offers to be a servant. It doesn't wait to be asked. She gladly and she ungrudgingly offers to help the purpose of God in Elijah. Speaking about a volunteer service, one person said, many of us are more like wheelbarrows, only useful if pushed and very easily upset. Only useful if pushed, (laughs) very easily upset. So a kingdom-minded volunteer spirit always initiates provision. Second characteristic is a volunteer spirit arises from a sensitive heart. I said a moment ago, having eyes to see is to hear. Having your finger on the pulse, looking for a need, not looking for a need to be met, but looking for a need to meet. I think that's the kind of spirit he's looking for. We can become so focused upon our own lives, our own walk with the Lord, our own to-do list, that we don't see the people around us that Jesus has called us to serve. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, whoever desires to be great in the kingdom of God, let him become what? Only one or two of you know that scripture. 
anyone desires to become great in the kingdom, let him become a servant to all. You, you know, I, I want to be great in the kingdom. We all desire authority over the devil. We all desire that power uh, source to flow through our life, to overcome when we're, when we're attacked, to get through when the storms confront us, when the challenging times come, when we're faced with a loss or a grief or a setback or a disappointment. We all want that power from heaven. We all want to be great in our power from heaven. We all want to be great in our authority. We all want to be recognised by the enemy, known in hell as somebody who doesn't easily give up, known in hell as somebody who has faith, somebody who will not easily walk away from their calling or throw in the towel or, or let disappointment rob you of your destiny. We all want to be someone who is great. Jesus said the road to be living like that is to become a servant of all. I think it was Vision Sunday I said, if serving is beneath you, Leadership is beyond you. A lot of people want titles and recognition. Jesus is not interested in titles or recognition. You know, King David, who pursued the purpose of God in his day, was surrounded by mighty men with a sensitive heart. These guys were warriors. One of them killed 800 men in a single battle. My goodness. 800 men in a single battle. These guys were strong. They were robust. They didn't easily give up. They weren't easily discouraged. One guy was so ferocious in defending a bean field that the enemy was trying to raid and rob from. He was so ferocious in defending that bean field that his hand stuck to the sword. They had to, they had to send for surgeons to pry his fingers off the sword. He was so passionate about defending what God was building, about being where God was and moving and operating within the very realm of where the presence of God dwelt. He was so passionate about it. But David, David is standing one day, reflecting and contemplating, and he's looking over Bethlehem. And as he looks over Bethlehem, which had been overrun by the Philistines, David is now ousted from Bethlehem, and he wants Bethlehem back. And he, he looks at Bethlehem. And just under his breath, I think he was probably even just talking to the Lord. He said, how I long for a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that one of his mighty men overhears it. He grabs a couple of others and says, let's go and get him a drink out of that well. Behind enemy lines? You sure you want to do this? Let's, yeah, let's go behind enemy lines. Let's get our king a drink of water. Jesus is the king, not the senior pastor. Hear what I'm saying. Jesus wants something. Who will go for us? Whom will I send? Where, where can I? You know, what are we going to do? And there was a sensitive ear in Isaiah that just said, I, I could do that. I could. The king wants a drink from the well of Bethlehem. It's dangerous in Bethlehem right now. It's not a place for me to be. But hey, the king wants a drink. I'll put myself out. I'll go and I will do what it takes to get the king a drink. So they go behind enemy lines, behind David's back, and they come back with a cup of water and said, here's your cup of water from the well, thinking he'd be so thrilled, but he took it and he poured it out in the ground. He was so blessed by it, he said, I'm not going to drink this. He honoured the men who did it. You know, a true volunteer spirit overhears the need, is sensitive to the need, has a sensitive heart, a volunteer spirit for the kingdom has a sensitive heart. Thirdly, the volunteer spirit that Jesus is looking for operates out of commitment, not convenience. Well, let me say this, the Shunammite woman was sensitive to the need of the men of God. But a volunteer spirit operates out of 
commitment, not convenience. We, we live in a world today obsessed with convenience. And I'll be honest, I like convenience. Most of you know I do most of the cooking in our house, mainly because I just enjoy cooking. But I don't like Margot in the kitchen anymore. She puts things where they don't go. When she washes up, things go in places that you just have to empty cupboards to find them. How she gets things that I use regularly to the back of the cupboard, behind things that aren't used regularly, is beyond me, but she has an ability to do it. I sometimes wonder whether the Holy Spirit puts them there after she's put them away just to aggravate me, to bring out what's in me. But, but I like convenience. I like thinking, I'm going to make this tonight. Oh, that's a lot of work. No, it's not. Because there's the pan for that, there's the pot for that, there's the spices for that. The, the, where's, the, where's the olive oil, Margot? It lives on the cupboard. It doesn't live in the cupboard. It lives in the pantry. You know, it lives on the cupboard because I use it regularly. It sits next to the stove. And when I'm cooking, I just go for the olive oil and sprinkle it on there and I want this. But you're leaving stuff out on the bench. Yeah, because it's convenient. I like convenience. We all like convenience. But you know something? You can't live out of convenience in the kingdom of God. Because needs arise all the time that can be at the most inconvenient times. It can be in a moment where a miracle offering is coming up. I really don't have money for a miracle. I've got enough on my plate at the moment. It's not always convenient. But Jesus is looking for people who won't live out of convenience, but will live out of dedication and commitment. People who will say, His values are my values. His desires are my desires. What He's building, I'm going to build. Because if I'm building what He's building, He'll build me. Because whatever I sow, I will reap. Is this okay? Yes, absolutely. If Jesus had been obsessed with convenience, he would never have gone to the cross. And we would be lost in our sin. The woman at Shunem, I believe, had a convenient lifestyle. The Bible tells us she was wealthy. Yet she didn't opt for the convenient option. Look, if it suits when you come through Elisha, you know, you can stay, but it may not always suit. But look, if it works, I'm happy to open a place for you. No, no, no. She, she opted for commitment, not convenience, and she volunteered a home for his convenience, for the convenience of kingdom purpose. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A volunteer spirit doesn't look for what is convenient or what suits the mood of the month, but makes a commitment to help regardless of the personal inconvenience. You know, rather than associating herself with his ministry or even getting involved in his ministry, she attaches herself to his ministry. She walked down the aisle and said, I do, to the purpose of God. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad Whatever it takes, we'll go through the storms together. We'll stand on the mountaintop together. We will push through together whatever it takes. I will do that. This is the heart of a true volunteer spirit. Number four, a volunteer spirit doesn't have a hidden agenda. Jesus warns us not to give to be seen or recognized to gain the approval of others. Matthew chapter 6 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before yourself as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's how I used to play the guitar. I didn't let the left hand know what the right hand was doing. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You know, there are some, some people just can't help themselves. 
just don't seem to be able to be generous without ever so subtly telling others just how generous they really are. But a true kingdom volunteer spirit is motivated, motivated by a desire to honour Jesus, not be honoured. There's no hidden agenda. You know, our, our, our free will offerings of service and finance need to be pure because of a dedication to kingdom purpose rather than personal gain. The Shunammite woman didn't volunteer her resources and her home with a hidden agenda. She wasn't hoping to gain something in return. She wasn't looking to get in with the hierarchy of the day. She wasn't looking for a prominent seat at the next ministry gathering that Elisha was going to hold somewhere in the town. She didn't give to be seen or recognised. She gave because she recognised and honoured the work and purpose of God. Not expecting anything in return. She's actually quite surprised when Elisha sends Gehazi, what can we do for this woman? She just says, I don't need anything. I'm well cared for. I live with my people. They, they care for me. They look after me. I, I have everything I need. There's nothing that I want. You know, she, she was, wasn't doing this to gain anything out of her heart. She was quite content. If you volunteer with the hope of receiving and you don't get what you hope to receive, you're just going to end up bitter. But if we volunteer with a heart that says, I will do this for kingdom purpose. I'll do this for the king of the purpose. I will do this because I love and value what he values. You will always be blessed in due course. In due season, you will, you will reap. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Don't do it for me. Don't even do it for the church. We've changed a lot of our language with our leadership and our volunteers. Whenever we gather, we stop saying, thank you for doing this. We just say, thank you for serving Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. But if we keep saying, thank you for doing this, thank you for... And then we forget to say it. Oh, they never thanked me today. It's like a true kingdom-minded volunteer spirit is not looking for something in return. There's no hidden agenda. Remember, verse 24, that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Let me close with this one. A kingdom volunteer spirit. Don't miss, this is the best one of all. A kingdom volunteer spirit always gets God's attention and always attracts the provision of God. Always gets God's attention and always attracts the provision of God. Of God. Those who initiate provision for God will always, without exception, be provided for by God. There was one thing this woman needed more than money. She needed a child. In that day and age, to have a son was a security for the future. She needed a child, but her husband could not father a child. But recognizing the volunteer spirit and the generous heart that lived within this woman and what she was doing and the commitment that she was giving, not the convenience of the moment, but saying, I'll be there. And when I say I'll be there, I'll be there. I'll follow through on every moment. God sees that and it attracted God to her life and God saw the need in her life. She had no child. But when you follow through on the story, you follow through on the life that this woman lived after she, she initiated provision, after she did it out of commitment, not convenience, after she had a heart that was for the kingdom of God above anything that she needed or wanted. The hand of God followed her all the days of her. Goodness and mercy followed her all the days of her life. Her young boy that, that comes in the fulfilment of the word of the Lord. God is faithful to the end. He will fulfill his promises. 
The young boy comes. We read on in, in, in that same chapter, chapter 4. He grows up. He's probably about 11 or 12 years old. And he goes out with his dad to the harvest. And while he's out there at the harvest with his dad, he, he develops an intense headache, like maybe like a migraine. And, and as you read the story, you probably think, well, it possibly was a brain hemorrhage. Maybe he was having a stroke. And he says to his dad, my head hurts. My head hurts. And his dad could see him at perhaps the color in his face. He says, carry the boy back to his mother. So they carry the boy back. This is the miracle child. Carries the boy back to his mother and lays the boy in his mother's lap. And then it says, by noon, he died. The promise of God died. Sometimes God will let your dream die just to see whether you're going to turn to Him and keep your eyes on Him and trust Him through the process because He doesn't want you worshipping a dream. He wants you worshipping Him. He doesn't want you chasing a dream. He wants you chasing Him. And when we chase Him, all our dreams follow us. And the boy dies. She's devastated. She's heartbroken. But she doesn't get bitter and resentful. She sends for God. She says, saddle a donkey. We've got to go to Elisha. We've got to, we've got to get Elisha here. We've got to bring God into the equation. We've got to bring God into the purpose. And God comes into the purpose. Elisha sends Gehazi ahead with a staff because she arrives and says to him, the boy's died. So Elisha says to Gehazi, go and take your staff. Lay it on the boy's body. Elisha's on his way with the woman to the child. But Gehazi comes back and said, I laid the staff. Nothing happened. Elisha gets there and you know the story. He lays on the boy's body, his mouth against the boy's mouth, his nose against the boy's nose, his hands on his hands, his feet on his hands. And he felt warmth come back into the boy's body. I think, God, you are so faithful. You saw this woman's heart. Because when we build the purpose of God, we're always built by God. He who builds the house of God, his house will be built by God. Some years later, chapter 8 of 2 Kings, a famine hits the land. Elisha gets to the woman of God and says, you need to uproot and move. You're not going to survive if you stay here. She's warned by God. Oh, I tell you, I could tell testimonies about the warnings of God. The times where prophetically the word of God has come to Margot and I and says, watch out for this, watch out for that, be careful of this, be careful of that. And each time it has unfolded exactly as the word of the Lord said and we were prepared, we were ready. We were able to uh, steal into our backbone. And when the storm came or the conflict came or the challenge came, we were ready for it. You know, the, the provision of God, the hand of God is, is unbelievable. So he says, get, get out. This famine's going to last for seven years. She goes and lives in the land of the Philistines because the Lord told her to. She's in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Now, while she's gone, all hell breaks loose and her house is taken, her land is taken, everything is overrun and people steal everything. And seven years later, she comes back and she feels in her heart, I need to go to the king and ask for my house and land back. She didn't know whether she was going to get favour from the king. At that very moment that she arrives, God engineers some of the most amazing circumstances. At the very moment she arrives, Gehazi is with the king. And at the moment she's coming up the palace steps, the king says to Gehazi, tell me some of the stories of what Elisha did in his ministry. And the first story Gehazi tells her is how 
how Elisha raised this lady from Shunem, her son, from the dead. And the king is just amazed by it. He said, tell me more. He said, well, you know, he, he had a headache and, and it went from bad to worse and he died in his mother's arms. And the king said, that's devastating. He said, but the woman sent for Elisha and the woman's now in the foyer of the palace trying to find some audience with the king or the officials who would make the decisions to get the land back. And, and he's, he's talking about this woman and all of a sudden Gehazi looks up and sees the woman going past. He said, that's the woman. That's her. The king says, bring her in. So they bring the woman in. He said, tell me, is this true what Gehazi is saying? This really happened with your son? Yes, it did. Why did you come here today? I've come to see if I can get my land back. You've got it back. You know, God, God will always, he, you will always get the attention of God when you have a true kingdom volunteer spirit and says, I don't want to just gather. I don't want to just grow. I don't want to just get spiritually fat and just have friends in church. I want to start sowing into kingdom purpose. I want to start building what God is building. The church I'm planted in has needs. It has a need for your talent, your gifting, your resource, your what you can contribute to the table, whatever part of the body you are, as you contribute. It all makes the body function and healthy. And the resource center is filled with enough to reach this broken city. Not so Jono and I or Margot or Luke or Shelley can get a bigger pay packet. We don't want a bigger pay packet. We're not looking for a bigger pay packet. We're looking for the house of God to be full so that it can meet every need that presents itself as the Holy Spirit leads. True volunteer spirit always gets the attention of God and always attracts the provision of God. What's your contribution? Stop sleeping around with the church. And I'm not wanting to offend anybody, but if you're here today and you think, oh, well, I'm here this Sunday. Next Sunday, I'll be at ABC Church. And Sunday after, I'll be at the, uh, the fourth church of the fifth Pentecostals, uh, you know, on the other side of town. And I'll be there and I'll get up and ask the Lord, where, where does he want me to go to church today? It's so unbiblical. Get planted and cut. Somebody said once that a pastor building the church, co-laboring with Jesus, cannot build a church with moving bricks. We are bricks. We are living stones built together to make a spiritual house. And it's very hard. You know, so, sometimes Margot and I will be talking to other pastors and, and, and they'll say, oh, you know, so-and-so has been coming to our church for a while. Well, they're still coming to our church too. Is they, you know, are they over with you? That's why they're not with us every Sunday. And, 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 and they'll, they'll say, you know, what are they like? And I just say they're great people, full of great talent, great resource, have a lot to bring to the table, but we can't build with them because they're never around. We can't use their talent. We can't lock them in. They can't be a living stone that actually produces fruit in the house of God. We're smorgasbord eaters. Let's lock arms. Perhaps you've been sitting in church for a long time. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. It's time to get over the hurt. It's time to get over the wound. It's time to rise up. It's time to, to go again. 